Welcome to Nova et Vetera, a special series of monk cast coming to you from the Abbey Archives. In which younger monks interview their elders about what it was like back in the day. We hope, we hope you, you enjoy, enjoy it. it. Okay. All right, could you, uh, could you please start with your name? My name is Roderick Giller, St. Benedict's Abbey, Atchison, Kansas, professed in uh, July 11th, 1956. And, your, and uh, when's your birthday? My birthday is September 26, 1934. Uh, I was ordained in uh, May 31st. Uh, 1962, along with uh, Ralph Kaler and uh, Fenton Fair and uh, Jordan Meyer, and who else was the fourth one? I'm sorry, I can't even think of his name offhand. And uh, after I was ordained, well, I went to meet to, to talk to the abbot, and he says, "What do you want to do, Giller?" And I says, "Well, I," he says, "You want to, you want to." Uh, Go to grad school and, and uh, teach in the college? You want to go to Mar Hill and start teaching? You want to go out in the parish? And I said, I'd like to go out in the parish. So he sent me out in the parish. And the first assignment he wanted me to do was to go to Lillis High School and teach religion. <clears throat> well, I wasn't all that comfortable with adolescence, and so I was able to wiggle my way out of that one. And uh, so he got uh, Lawrence Newman, who was uh, at St. Benedict Parish in Kansas City, Kansas, to go over to Lillis. And uh, I, um, you know, went to uh, St. Benedict Parish in Kansas City, Kansas for two years with Ambrose Keating. So uh, it was a good experience in the sense that uh, Father Ambrose was close to all the older diocesan priests who really were the, the pastors of the big parishes at that time. And we'd play army every Friday night, which is kind of a poker game. And, uh, and that was good. And uh, you got to know the older priests on a, a first-name basis. And uh, so I was grateful for that. Uh, grateful for my time I spent there. Uh, it was a... Uh, parish church that uh, that, that uh, ministered to the Irish uh, mainly. And uh, the uh, Polish church was only four blocks away. And after two years then, uh, I was sent to Seneca, Kansas, 64, and, and, uh, and I stayed there five years and uh, taught high school. They had a high school then, taught religion in the high school. And, of course, helped out as associate pastor in its parish uh, with weekday masses and Sunday masses. There were two priests there. Well, then there was, there was also Father Edward Schmitz there. He was an older, retired priest, and he t- took care of the sick. He would go to the hospital and have mass there every day, and then he'd visit the sick at the hospital and uh, also the ones in their home. And he loved to play bridge, and so every afternoon he'd get a, a group of women together and they'd play bridge. And uh, Father Edward loved uh, to play bridge. And of course, when I was got there, I was warned by Father Donald, don't say uh, that you know how to play bridge or you'd be busy playing bridge every afternoon with Father Edward. So I, I took his cue and just said, I don't know how to play bridge which I really didn't that well. But, uh, you know, working with high school students is, uh, it's a good, noble challenge. Uh, it takes infinite patience, and you got to love the kids. And I never really had either one. So, so <laughs> I, it wasn't really the most successful thing I'd done as a priest. Uh, and the abbot suggested I go down to uh, Poya and uh, work on some some uh, classes on uh, student manage- classroom management, student behavior, which I did. And 
I ended up <clears throat> doing everything from a master's degree in, in uh, guidance counseling, except I, I did a type frequency study of the cases that came into a rectory over a 12-month period. Father Wilfred Fangman was with me there. This was, this was when I was back to Atchison. And uh, we uh, would then uh, write them all down, and, and uh, I would record those. And, and I thought it was, it was a good type frequency study just to let priests, other priests know, seminarians know what they might expect when they come to a rectory for counsel. What I did not do was to get a uh, release for these cases from the people. And so uh, realizing this too late, I, I realized I couldn't publish this. Some of them were rather, you know, well-known cases. Uh, and I could have taken it. And uh, my I, I was switched from one... Uh, what uh, professor who was supposed to guide me through the degree to another one, and the other one was a, the second one was a math teacher, and he wanted uh, uh, a type for a study where I could prove a significant difference, you know, five point uh, uh, tenths of a percent, uh, and so uh, I didn't want to start all over on that. So I could have taken a three-hour course on how to read dissertations, but. At that point, I was so, somewhat disappointed, frustrated, so I just let it go. And I never did finish the degree, but I did do all my comps and everything else. But I thought it helped me some. Uh, it helped me to, to listen to people. And, and uh, the whole meaning of the word grace, you know, unearned acceptance when people come in, uh, let people talk, hear them out before you say much of anything else, you know. And then you try to to uh, repeat to them what they just said and give them a chance to expound on it, be sure that the, you're, you're following them correctly. So that helped me and, and people who would come for counsel. Uh, of course, we're having a high school, you know, we had all, all the athletics and all that, so I would go to all the ball games and and uh, it was Seneca is a, is a, a remarkable town 2,000 people but uh, four banks uh, uh, hospital uh, uh, water park uh, baseball diamond now they have an 18 hole golf course uh but anyway, it was uh, German Catholics and very industrious, hardworking, and prosperous people. And so it was a grace to be there. Back to Atchison then. I was with, uh, when I came there in 89, in the fall, 69, in the fall, Father Walter Vollmer was the pastor. And after Christmas, maybe, I think about December 29th, his, he'd had... Uh, he had congestive heart failure, and so he had me driving him to St. To Margaret's in Kansas City. And on the way down there, he would uh, unroll the window, stick his head out the window so he could breathe because his heart was failing. And, of course, I uh, got him there, and uh, but he died that night. Mm. Uh, so then I was left, you know, to, to run the parish uh, until I think I, if I did that maybe a year and a half. Or just uh, you know half of a year. I, I can't remember now. I think it was more like a year and a half. And then uh, Father Wilfred came, and then Abbot Thomas made us co-pastors. And he said I should take care of the finances, which I did. And then I got a call from Abbot Brendan uh, on a Tuesday, and he said, Roderick, he says I want you to go to St. Joseph's. I said, Okay. When do you want me to be there? He says Friday. So I said, okay. So I went to St. Joseph, and the previous pastor there had a little difficulty, I guess. And so I was at St. Joseph, which was my home parish for four years. Mm -hmm. And I liked that, and uh, I knew a lot of the families, the old families. I knew all of them. And, and that process, well, even when I was at St. Benedict, we, we, had, uh, we consolidated the three uh, Catholic grade schools into one 
uh, school, and we called it ACES, Atchison's Catholic Elementary School. And, of course, uh, we thought we needed bus transportation, so we leased a bus, as I recall, and uh, <clears throat> and then I was put in charge of that. And uh, from that, I ended up uh, hauling the Mar Hill students, the Mount Academy students, uh, the, the Benedictine College students, at that time, they had two campuses. So I'd have to hire people, teach them how to drive a bus if they didn't know how to, be sure they got their first aid and their, their safe driving stuff. And so uh, from that operation, we made about 12000 bucks a year uh, to go to the school. And I, I kind of enjoyed that. I kind of enjoyed fooling around with... Uh, you know, buses, stuff like that. Did you ever get to drive the buses? Well, who else would it be if it wasn't <laughs> me? And we had a great relationship with Jim Lunsford, who has a uh, grandson who's a priest, Keith Lunsford. But uh, <clears throat> whenever a, a bus would break down, I, I'd call Jim, and he'd say, take number 48 at the Haymarket Square. So I said, the key's above the visor. So I'd just drive down there and find number 48 and drive it back, and I'd keep it as long as I needed it, and I'd take it back. He never charged us for anything for it. And, and you know, in that whole process, we ended up buying, ended up with six buses, two new ones. We flew out to, to uh, I think it was North Carolina, South Carolina, to drive two buses back. Uh, and, uh, uh, but meantime, a woman said she's got two farms and she really doesn't know what to do with them. And she said, well, why don't I come out for dinner sometime and we talk about it. And I was so busy working with the buses, I never got out there. And needless to say, you know, the, the uh, colleagues of school lost two farms because of my being too preoccupied with things that I really shouldn't have been preoccupied with. You wow. know? Uh, so, but... Uh, it was, you know, the duties of a priest. One thing, my folks were still alive in that parish. When they would still come to me for confession, you know, which is kind of humbling. Uh, so, and of course, Moore Hill was very close there. Um, and we had our own grade school at that time as well. So that was enjoyable. And then I did get a call after that to go to... Uh, let me see, to Hiawatha next. And I spent eight years in Hiawatha. And uh, when I was a little kid, my folks were both from St. Joseph, and then they both worked for Standard Oil. And during the Depression, Rockefeller hired all of his staff and just rehired college students and paid them half the wages. So as a result, my folks lost their house, lost their car, you know. And thankfully that we had a grandfather where we could stay there. Uh, well, we didn't move there, but uh, by that time he'd had a stroke. And, and uh, so uh, we, we went to Iwatha. Dad found a job working for Kimmel Oil Company there. As a result, uh, we, we lived there about four or five years before preschool and then preschool. I think I was, went through about the third grade. And then... Dad moved us down to uh, Atchison during the, the uh, Second World War because there were Catholic schools. So uh, you're one of our you're, you're one of our uh, our uh, last, I suppose, homegrown vocations. Uh, yeah. I, 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 it doesn't sound like you were born in Atchison, but it sounds like you were raised here in Atchison. Yeah, I was about the fourth grade on. Yeah, and yeah. you were were you in the Catholic school system from? Like grade school, on yeah. up through college, and then priesthood yeah, studies. I was, yeah. Wow. All the way, yeah, to seminary, you know. Yeah. Uh, Mar Hill, went to Mar Hill, got a scholarship to Mar Hill my freshman year, and uh, played football and basketball. I think I got cut from the basketball team, and I got cut from the baseball team. Were you good at football? Yeah, I played football four years, yeah. Even as a freshman, we suited up for varsity games, as I recall. Oh, maybe wow. not. Maybe it was sophomore year. What position did you play? I played in, you know, but I couldn't catch the ball, you know. <laughs> so uh, 
we had a very unillustrious season, you know. <laughs> the, at the end of our season, the coach told us he'd never seen a team that lost so many games and still had such a good spirit, you know. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you can consider that a compliment or not. Uh, well, it was something. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, after, uh, let's see, Father Bart was at Seneca, when I was in Hiawatha, so he he uh, he got sick, and so the abbot asked me to go to Seneca. So I went to Seneca then as pastor, and I was there for 15 years, and uh, so I went on then to uh, uh, Wathina and, and Troy and Vendina. Uh, I was there about eight years, and and I enjoyed it there. I. Uh, you know the abbot. Uh, well, they they we gave Hiawatha high, high to a high priest at Hiawatha who was good enough to take it, which I was thankful for because on Christmas Eve I'd have three Christmas Eve masses, and and three different churches. By the time I got to back to Wathena about nine o'clock that night, I was running out of gas. You know, uh, so it was kind of a blessing for me to lose that that parish. So. But uh, back to the days of uh, when we were studying, yeah, uh, we we try, we uh, had a fairly healthy life. We we had intramural game. We we played volleyball intramural. We well, we had a couple of different, you know, or three or four, I guess, teams, and also we had an intramural football team, and we played baseball, softball as well, down at the Leuterman Bowl which is kind of growing up now into weeds. It's down close to the river. Uh, so, uh, can you can you can you describe that a little bit? What's what's the story behind the Loiterman Bowl? Well, I didn't get along very well with uh, my my boss, Father Arnold. May he rest in peace. And uh, so when he'd play, I'd always try to get on the other side opposite him and really try to cream him, you know. And he'd keep moving on the opposite side, so I finally gave up on that after a while. But uh, uh, it was a way to get some of my underlying resentment out, I guess. But uh, I made a bobsled, you know. We had a lot of army surplus, uh, inch, inch by inch angle iron. And so I, I learned learned how to weld and welded a frame for it. And I put two sets of guiders on it, one in the front and one in the back, so you could steer from both the front and the back, which was ridiculous, you know. And so we, and then we put a 2 by 12 down the middle. So we, we pulled it. We had an army surplus truck, so we pulled it up to the, <coughs> oh, up the, by the, you know, the, uh, uh, pasture north of the abbey, and and uh, found the steepest hill to go down. So we had about six guys loaded on that thing, and I was steering it. And all of a sudden, I realized this hillside has stumps in it, you know. And so I, uh, and we were going fairly lively risk, so I had to to dodge the stumps, you know, and which created a little pressure, you know, because if we hit a stump, you know, guess who'd get creamed, you know. Uh, Fortunately, that didn't happen. But the the, the bobsled was a heavy-duty bobsled, and uh, it was too heavy-duty to pull back up the hill. So we <laughs> we had this Army surplus truck with a winch on the front and probably had 100 feet of cable. So then I took a hay rope and put the hay rope on the cable, and then we'd pull the uh, bobsled up with the, with the truck, and then— then when we got finished there, we'd, we'd ride, drive it down the river road, maybe drive up 4th Street. And, and uh, so, I don't know, somehow that got back to uh, Father Theodore. And so I said, no, you can't, you can't drive the clerics around town in the, in the Army surplus vehicle pulling the bobsled, you know. But we used that, and then the college took it over and kind of used it. So it was another adventure. And then another time, Father Henry and I, Henry was my best, closest friend. Henry? Henry Dieters. Gotcha. And uh, so we, ha- we were going out for a walk or something, and, and uh, 
So we went by the uh, shop there, and they had the vehicles parked there, and they had the, the red dump truck, and uh, the keys were in it. And so I said, Henry, why don't we just uh, take that truck, you know, down there, save walking down to the, to the uh, north pasture, you know. So he said, okay. So we got in and started up, and uh, we got up to that top of that big hill, uh, uh, going down the road to the river. And we were going down the road, and then I hit the brakes to slow down, and we, we didn't have any brakes. And so I said, Henry, I says, we don't have any brakes. So he grabbed the, the emergency and pulled it. And so we slowed down enough to turn in where the old barn was, you know. So we avoided that catastrophe that, that way. Uh, but uh, we, uh, you know, another experience we had, some of the, of the, the brothers— you know, saw found a, a den of foxes, and so they took barbed wire, and they kind of turned it around and get it into the uh, dens, and there were a bunch of little foxes, fox cubs or whatever you fox call pups. pups, sorry. Yeah. And the barbed wire would wrap around their fur, you know, and then they'd pull them out one at a time, you know. And so we ended up with five, you know, fox uh, pups, is that what you call them? Yeah. But, you know, they needed live meat. And so Brother Minor asked me to look after them, you know. So where am I going to get some live meat? Well, Brother Anthony, you know, had a collection of banty hens. And I didn't realize, but these were prize banty hens. They weren't the old run-of-the-mill banty hens. So I thought, well, that's what they need, you know. So I swiped one out of the, 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 the barn where he kept them and and I just kind of threw. I think I, I pulled its neck off before I sent it into the pen, but I, I threw it in the pen. Of course, the fox uh, pups made short order of it. And uh, about that time, Brother Anthony uh, heard that we had some foxes, so he wanted to see the foxes. So, uh, what could I do? So I took him up to see the foxes, and he was looking at the little fox. He said. Where'd all those batty hen feathers come from? <laughs> so I was caught red-handed, you know. And bless his heart, he, he never got angry at me for that, you know. He, he, he never, you know, took out any resentment on me. He just like as nothing happened. But I didn't steal any more of his batty hen. You know? <laughs> uh, so... Uh, and and we had we kept we ended up with one and it was a female so I named her Mildred uh-huh. and uh, built a little pen for her and uh, put glass around it in the wintertime so she wouldn't get too cold you know the sun would shine in the daytime and so she came into heat and so I, I thought well I'll take her down to the bluff and I'll stake her up there and maybe she'll get bread you know so I did that and I put a little chain around her neck, and then I put a bolt and a, and a screw and a nut on it. and But I didn't really tighten up the bolt real tough. I, I, I thought I'd leave it up to the Lord. If he wants her to get loose, well, that, let it, so be it. So anyway, the next time I went down, sure enough, you know, the chain was loose and Mildred was gone. And so I'd be looking around for her, and then she'd jump up uh, out of the bushes there and just close enough to me to— to taunt me, you know, to, to but not close enough that I could grab her, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so we we played uh, uh, tag that way, and uh, a couple, a few times, and then I didn't see her anymore. And then one at the time there was a, a fox laying by the road had been shot. I think one of the college students had shot it, and I just was afraid that was Mildred, but. Uh, uh, so, you know, back to the football games, the uh, intramural football, you know, this was in the fall, and you would, you know, you'd build up a powerful thirst, you know, playing football, even though it was tag football. And um, it was a time when the, the grapes were being harvested, you know, and so there was uh, plenty of grape juice in the cooler. And right. so I understand we grew our own grapes. Yeah, we did. Oh, yeah, we had 20 acres of vineyard until some farmer sprayed his crops and killed all the vineyard, you know. But uh, they made altar wine, and uh, 
Yeah, of course, for altar wine, you do not add any sugar. It's just a straight grape juice. And these are Concord grapes. And they didn't make any very good altar wine, you know. Uh, outside of having alcoholic content, there wasn't a lot you could say about it. It was good. I understand. Uh, I, I feel like I've heard before, too. We used the first pressing for altar wine and then the second pressing for table wine. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, we had, I think it was on Tuesday night, we had table wine. And you you could you know get a whole uh, you know water glass full of table wine if you wanted it. Was it any good? Oh, you know when that's the only thing you have. Well, it was okay. You know? <laughs> uh, but I was so thankful when the uh, the vineyard you know uh, uh, wasn't producing any grapes anymore because I never liked the altar wine anyway. It was kind of kind of I. Uh, it wasn't sweet at all, and uh, I, I, I think at that point we bought our own altar wine. It was much better than the stuff we raised ourselves, so I saw that as a blessing in disguise, mm. you know. So, anyway, You were saying you build up a powerful thirst. Yeah, and so I thought, you know, grape juice is okay, but let's get something a little more got a little bit more bang to it. So so uh, I uh, got uh, Father Eric. He was a, kind of the winemaker. And so I talked to him, and so I got a gallon of grape juice, and, and I had another friend, uh, I think it was Father Raphael, uh, whom I talked into coming from uh, uh, Michigan. He, he was a Sylvestrian priest from there, and he wasn't happy there, so I said, why don't you come to Atchison? He'd been in school here, so he did. He transferred to this abbey. Uh, so he was taking a chemistry class, so I had him, you know, bend some white, some tubing, tubing and bring me the tubing and bring, bring me the rubber corks, you know, so I, I could put them in the gallon jug and, and then have the radical fermentation, you know. And then then after that, you know, the, the lesser fermentation. So I did all that, and then it came time to bottle it, so I bottled it. I had about four you know, 350 milliliter bottles, something like that, maybe approximately. And so I had them all in, 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 in my, uh, what, uh, closet. And, you know, this was up the third floor, and, the you know, these ceilings are pretty high, and they were way, way high, and, and our superior was short, so I knew he'd never be able to reach up there to, <laughs> to uh, find them. And so then Eric says, you know, you want to lay those bottles down, he said, because you want to keep the corks moist so that way they'll, be, they'll expand and they'll keep the air from getting into the bottle and, and you know, and the wine will be better, you huh. know. So I did. Well, the next uh, night I came, we came back from the office, and as soon as I got uh, around the, uh, uh, out of the hallway around the steps, I knew something had happened because— there was a mellifluous uh, order of uh, wine, you know. This was the first floor going up to the third floor. So I rushed up to the third floor, opened the door. There was wine all over the floor. Opened up my closet door, and there was wine on all my clothes there. Uh, so I, I opened the windows. I, I, you know, soaked up the wine. I took some aftershave lotion. And sprinkle it all over the the room, you know, so that would counteract the the wine odor, and uh, and once again the Lord was kind and merciful, because uh, the superior never walked down the hall, I guess, that night, and so uh, my only, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what loss there was all my effort I'd put into trying to make some wine. Uh, but, you know, once uh, is enough, I, I got that out of my system. So, uh, you know. Uh, when 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 was that? Was that when you were in formation? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and in and, and those days, you know, that was the grounds for dismissal. You know? Really? Yeah. Wow. And another time, my, my brother was here when, when I— he left when I came, but he came back to visit and, and uh, I think visited Father Herman Fangman, uh, who was a friend of his, and 
So he, he t- invited me down there, too. So Herman was a prefect of freshman hall, so, of course, he offered us a drink, you know. So I didn't think nothing about it. I drank, but somehow the word got back to the novice master, and all he said was, we don't drink when we're novitiate, you know, or something like that. And that was fine. And then uh, Elmer Fangman was one of our novices in the same class. Right. So uh, he, he had to go to the hospital, and then he came back, and he, he dropped out. So he had a, he had a six pack, and so we were going down to a basketball game. So he invited us all into his car, and and we all enjoyed a can of beer, you know. And of course, that didn't go over real well either. That that uh, you know that was also a no no. You know, we come to find out. Uh, all I can say is, that in spite of all my mishaps, it must have been God's will that I still be here. You know, I didn't get. Uh, removed, you know, uh, with a boot or something, you know. Well, I'm, I, I for one, am grateful that you're here because otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation right, right. now. Right, right. Yeah, we, we had, uh, what what kind of work did we do? You know, we did garden work. We had a big garden those days. We'd, we'd pick uh, raspberries, you know, and Father Florian, bless his heart, he'd, he'd get his arms all bloody, you know, from the thorns and we went down to the uh, bottoms. We planted a bunch of pecan trees down there, but it was a dry summer, and so none of them ever ever grew. Uh, we'd go pick up corn. You know, after they'd harvest the corn, there'd be a lot of loose ears. We'd pick them up and bring them up to the hog pen, you know, and, and they'd, uh, uh, the hogs would eat them. So stuff like that. We we wanted to build a cabin at Camp St. Mars, so a lot of the guys under Ralph's supervision went out. We found a farmer who had an old house, so he let us tear it down to get the lumber to build this cabin out at Lake Placid. And so we worked on that. And then it was not, it's pretty dark, dark wood and all that, so I thought it would be a good idea to, you know, lighten it up so... You know, to kind of paint it, paint the ceiling part. You know, put some white paint up there to make a little more light. Some well, I thought it'd be good just to paint the side walls too. You know, and of course, Father, uh, uh, he'd since left. He was in charge of camp. He's still alive, uh, but anyway, he didn't think much of that. Uh, and then. Uh, we we had one of those old tractors that they use at airports to, to pull planes around, you know. And so we were driving it somewhere down in the, through the garden. And so, uh, you know, those things were really weighted down because they had to pull heavy airplanes, you know. So, you know, going through a garden, you know, it's pretty rough ground. So, you know, basically we blew out a tire. So about that time, Father Arnold asked me if I was accident-prone, you know. And and he kind of caught me with the goods, you know, and I, I couldn't hardly deny it, credibly. Uh, but uh, why we bought that thing, probably paid $50 for it, I'll never know. You know, it didn't have much practical value around here. But, but that was, uh, in those days, a college in the Abbey was one, you know. So you could go down to Army Surplus, and I think Brother Leo had a Jeep there, and... Uh, and, you know, you buy a lot of stuff from there. I think we bought, bought an old school bus, uh, Rio, that never was much good, but uh, stuff like that. So we, we, uh, we played bridge, of course, every, in the novitiate, after lunch and after supper. Who was who your novice master? Father Florian. Okay. Yeah. I understand he really enjoyed playing bridge. Yeah, uh, yeah, he put up with us, you know, and we weren't all that, uh, you know, up fast to the game, but we we played it, and, you know, it was tolerable. Uh, it wasn't a bad game, and it took some cerebral, you know, uh, uh, ability to play the game. So, and that that, you know, in those days, like uh, we were, there were six. We had two guys from uh, Newark, New Jersey, Maynard and Cronin, and uh, four, four. I think we had six starting from ours, our Abbey, 
And of course, uh, uh, Elmer dropped out. Uh, so uh, we, uh, what, uh, we'd say the Office of the Dead every week uh, for the deceased uh, monks. Father Florian, we never used the showers in the novitiate. We'd have to go down to gym on Saturday. Why is that? Well, I think I think he must have been afraid of it to make it things too rowdy, you know. Uh, and uh, he wanted to keep a more serene atmosphere in the vishet. Uh, so, but you know, we'd be working out in the gardens. You'd get sweated up, and so we'd all have to take a sponge bath when we came back. And and uh, in the bathroom, of course, all the lavatories, and so the floor would be all wet by the time we got finished. And I remember uh, we'd have spiritual reading after we came back from working, you know. And this would be like maybe 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, you were kind of tired, and and it was not too too hard to doze off, you know. And... Uh, so Father Florian suggested he get me a, 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 a reading stand that you had to stand up to read, you know. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, he didn't follow through on that. But I kept going to sleep, you know. Uh, but we learned the, the Ordo. is all in Latin in those days, how to read the Ordo. Some of us learned how. Uh, and like Camp St. Mar was a big thing. We did that every year. I think we had three two-week sessions. And that was, you know, that was kind of fun. As I got my love for camping from Camp St. Mar. We'd take the kids out once in our two-week session. And uh, after, I hated it the first year. and It wasn't so bad the second year. The third year, I almost enjoyed it. And the fourth and fifth year, I really enjoyed it, you know. One time it rained really hard, and we could, for breakfast we couldn't didn't have any firewood. You know, I think I had bacon and eggs or something. We couldn't cook them, but we had some soup, some uh, cream of mushroom soup. That I think I was going to serve at supper sometime. So we ended up for breakfast eating cream of mushroom soup cold. You know. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, so I. Uh... Did did you did you help out with Camp St. Mar all of the years that you were in formation then? Yeah, except our last year. Our last year we studied French during the summer. And I don't know if camp was winding down then or what was going on. Or maybe we had enough younger guys. I don't remember. But we did. The, I did the rest of the time. Uh, everybody did pretty much, I think. Unless a person had some good reason not to. Mm-hmm. I had the horses, and uh, I got uh, inherited those from Father Herman. And he named, we had eight horses, and he named them after the college professors, monks, you know. Really? And and, and one was, you know, uh, Malachi, and one was Bernard, and so on. And so uh, when I, I got the job, and, and I think Herman went off to grad school or something, and so... Uh, the, the the guy who delivered the horses uh, said, "Well, you you know who, who uh, you, you, they got to be shod, you know, because walking around town, you know, they needed shoes." So I thought, "Well, that's my job. I, I had to shoe the horses, you know." So I I shod, I think four of the eight horses in one day. Wow. Uh, I didn't have any leather thongs, you know. I uh, uh, never did this before in my life. Oh wow! D- didn't really know what I was doing. Tried to go through so I wouldn't hit the flesh of, of the uh, horse, you know, because uh-huh. they they could pull back and rip your leg, you know. And I had somebody. I did this for for uh, Herman. The previous year, you, you put a, a a rope around the horse's nose and you twist it, you know, and you hold him there while you're, uh, you know, trying to put a shoe on his foot. Uh-huh. And, and uh, so I actually got four horses shod, and, and, uh, and then uh, 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 the, the the guy who gave it the little horses, he came up the next day, and he looked at my job, and he says, I'll get somebody else to shoe the other four horses. <laughs> <laughs>
But we, we had one good horse. Her name was Red. She was a quarter horse. You get on her, and she'd take off like a rocket. If you if you one foot came out of stirrup, she'd take come to a halt. You could lay the bridle down, and she'd stand there all day with the bridle just hanging down on the ground. Wow! You know she was. I I talked to uh, somebody into buying it. You know because she's such a good horse, uh, and we kept her. So there's those memories. We we were having a camp out. We 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 slaughter a, a lamb every year. And so uh, what I was supposed to do with Fenton Fayer, we were supposed to uh, make some kind of a stew or something. And the recipe called for uh, five, uh, it's supposed to be five quarts of water to go with this stew, you know. And somehow we miss, uh, Fenton misread the recipe and he, and it, he thought it said five gallons of water. So it was pretty thin stew, you know. <laughs> By the time it, it got to the kids, but uh, oh man, how why why a lamb? Well, that's something you can butcher. You know, it's something <laughs> that you know it's not, and it's enough f- f- feed to feed the kids who are there at Camp Saint Mar. You know, uh, and of course, it's the first time the kids would watch. You know, when you kill the lamb, you know, and skin it and all that, and gut it, and and so. Uh, that was a. This is very different from my summer camp experiences. We didn't witness any animals dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just we we just mostly learned how to tie knots and stuff. How to what? Tie knots. Oh well, we didn't really do much of that. That's more scouting, or we had to do some of that in the Navy, I think, Naval Reserve, which uh, I joined before I came into the monastery. So. Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about, um, we're going to be shifting gears a little bit now, if that's okay. Tell me a little bit about the, uh, what it, what it was like, um, in the community and, uh, uh, I suppose in, in the, in the church at large and your experience of, uh, the era after the council, the second Vatican yeah. council. You know, we were a Dane in the, uh, uh, May 31st, 1962. The council opened, I think, that fall of 62. Up to that point, everything was in Latin. The office was in Latin. You know, mass was in Latin. It was ad orientum, you know. And uh, so I don't—I think it uh, was—I was in Seneca before we really got to the point of, like, having mass uh, facing the people. And I remember Father Basil was the— Pastor, he asked me to to uh, get an altar built, you know. So I designed one, and we had a local carpenter there, and, and he he built it. Uh, but that must was that '67. I think it could have been around then that that uh, you know more of the mass was changed to English, and then for some reason, you know, we all thought that we had to say have the mass facing the people, you know, and that was really only one option. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Vatican Council, none of the documents on the liturgy said anything about it. turning the altar around and facing the people. But everybody did it, you know, and we were excited about it. Of course, now I've come full circle, and, I, and uh, Timothy put that good piece on the bulletin board about, you know, when you talk to God, you face God, uh, ad orientum. When you talk to people, you face the people. But uh, in the old way, it was kind of kind of awkward because you'd, you'd have everything facing auto intimate in it, but when you, you say the Lord be with you, you turn around and face the people and say that. And uh, you, of course, you'd read the, uh, the the readings, I think, first in Latin and then in English, you know, uh, We'd have the last gospel after every Mass, John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, the prologue. Yeah. So uh, that was an interesting uh, switch. Uh, uh, but it was, you know, I welcomed it because it was in English. And I didn't really understand Latin that well. I was so thankful. 
I didn't like singing Gregorian chant. I never got into it, you know. I know people who do it today. I was at Clear Creek Abbey a month ago or less, and they do it all in Latin. Uh, but, uh, and, and they taught, there are books there, they're in, their, in their bookstore, there's a spirituality of Gregorian chant, you know, which I should read sometime. But I, I was uh, not with it, and uh, just glad that we started singing hymns, you know, in English. Uh, but so it was, uh, it was changed. It was kind of exciting uh, time. You thought you were making things more intelligible for the people, you know. And of course, you know, a lot of people say that's when we lost our sense of the transcendent, the sense of reverence uh, at Mass. Uh, and of course, now I'm, I'm kind of thinking the other way. We ought to, we ought to start experimenting more with Mass ad orientum. I don't see any point in going back to the Latin Mass, you know. I mean, that's a needless obstacle in, in my way of thinking. Uh, but I think Ad Orientum would have some significance. I remember when I was at Wathena, I had some kind of a service with the Lutheran pastor there. And when he'd say his opening prayer, he'd turn around and face the, the they had a crucifix or a cross, you know, he'd face the cross. And that really struck me that, you know, uh, the, there was grace there I experienced. And, and much more than facing the people and saying that same prayer. And so I, I do believe there is power in, in facing the Lord when you're talking to the Lord. And I think that's a value that we ought to think very hard about restoring. Tell me, uh, oh, I know. Um, tell me, this, this, is, this is like not so much about the past as it is, I suppose, about the, the present. Um, uh, this is this, this is a question I've never thought to ask you before. I don't know why. Uh, where why where did your interest in biking come from? Well, you know, my dad never gave us any any uh, salary or anything. You know, any any allowance. Uh, when uh, report cards came due, if we had an A, we'd get a dime. You know, if we had a B, we'd get a nickel. If we had a C, we'd get a penny. You know. And my two older brothers, you know, had paper routes and hatches. Well, they had them in Hiawatha, too. They delivered in the morning and evening two different papers, the Star and the St. Joe paper. So went to uh, Ash and I would kind of tag along with them. And they had money, you know. They had money to buy candy bars or Coke, you know, or even a hamburger. And so at that point, I, I became a capitalist. I realized that if you wanted money to buy things, you had to work for it, you know. So I got me a paper route. Well, when I got the paper route, I didn't have a bicycle. And we lived, you know, a mile uh, from uh, the, the uh, Atchison Daily Globe place, which is on Main Street. And, and uh, so Dad brought, <laughs> found a used bike somewhere, and he gave it to me. And so I, I painted it. I painted it kind of a dark green and and uh, I fixed the chain on it. I was always fixing the chain on it, you know, uh, and uh, had a basket so I could uh, use the bike, you know, for the hall papers, which I did. And, and, and uh, so, uh, and you do that. I don't know how many years I did that, probably all the way through, uh, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade at least. And... Uh, Kind of like the postman, you know, rain or shine, you know, and, and uh, ice or snow. But, and, and I collected for my own route. And uh, so, you know, I had spending money. And I always remember this one woman, her uh, figures never agreed with mine. You know, I'd go to collect and she'd say, well, uh, you know, I, I paid you. And she'd show me her card and it had the punch on it. You know, I had a distinctive punch, you know. And then one time I went to her house, and the weather was pretty bad out, so she invited me in uh, uh, to uh, while well, she got some money, you know. And I looked around, and she had somebody had carved a little uh, punch just like the one I used, and it was laying there 
buy the the uh, a newspaper card, you know, where you kept track of how much you owed. So I figured out that's why our figures didn't meet, mix, meet, you know. So, but I think she wised up that I saw that, and then after that, she didn't try to cheat me. But, but it's it, you know, it's uh, the bicycle was your your means of transportation, you know, and uh, and the question was, I had the the. Uh, the uh, bike route that w- went all the way out towards uh, the uh, lake out there, uh, where and where they have the uh, uh, you know Amelia Earhart thing. Uh, uh, is that Warnock? Yeah, Warnock. I went around t- out that corner where you turn to go to Warnock, and so you really needed a bike. But if it was raining, I had to go up U Street, and U Street was just a mud street. And uh, it was, you know, there was no way you could get up that scene with a bike. And so I remember one time I had to carry the bike up the hill. And, and uh, you know, I'd slip and fall, and the newspapers would get all muddy. And, and, and I'd made an a, a error in predicting the weather. And, uh, and uh, that was the price I had to pay uh, you know, to, to haul this bike with the papers about up a two-block-long hill, you know. Uh, so that was good for me, you know. I got, one year I got to, I tied for the best newspaper carrier in Atchison, you know. And Mrs. Arnsberg was my advocate. She wrote out a nice letter, and, and they did a lot of advertising in the paper, you know, for the head of grocery store, so that didn't hurt anything. But... Uh, I remember one winter, we had a, like a 12-inch snow, and I'd have to deliver these papers. These people lived up, you know, above the road, and then you'd walk back down, and then you didn't, you couldn't tell where the bank dropped off, you know, and so then you, you'd walk down, and then you'd step down, and you'd go down about six feet into the snow, you know, uh, because it just it continued over the, 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 the uh, sod there, the land, you know. And then you'd have to kind of dig yourself out. So you, you had some testing moments, but, uh, you know, you survived all that. Uh, and, you know, you got fairly good at, at riding your bike and throwing the paper and getting it on the porch most of the time. You know, Once in a while, you'd get it on the roof, and, and then you'd have to either climb up on the roof and get it, or else you'd, you'd hope you had an extra paper in your pack, you know. So it was it was a good good uh, good uh, learning experience, you know. Well, there you go. Um, I believe that's just about. Uh, do you have any parting comments? That's just about all we have time for. Well, you know, uh, I didn't really, you know, have when I joined the Abbey. My dream was to be a, a pastor, parish priest, you know. My, my uh, uh, priests that inspired me were Father Basil and Father uh, Matthew Hall. And so, you know, I went to the Vishit and training, and, and I really didn't. Uh, I saw this as a necessary evil so I could get, get out on a parish, you know, and, and uh, you know, have, have uh, you know, uh, get out of the abbey and have my own car, have my own bank expense account, you know. Uh, and so it wasn't a very, you know, a sacrificial uh, way to look at it. And, 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 you know, we pastoral theology, we went to Conception two summers. They tried to teach us a little pastoral psychology, but, if you know, if I'd known now, then what I know now, you know, I'd have been a different kind of a parish priest, that's for sure. And this kind of goes back to teaching, you know. If you're going to teach people, you've got to love them and you've got to have infinite patience. It's kind of the same thing in a parish. If you don't love the people you're ministering to, you know, you shouldn't be ministered to them. And, and, and then I didn't really have my own spirituality, you know. Uh, you know, you just follow the Baltimore Catechism. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it's really only after I came back to the Abbey that, you know, I, I you know, saw, saw spirituality as, as uh, what uh, Paul 
Romans 7.20, we're powerless over sin. Uh, Paul also says you can't even say the name Jesus without the grace of God. So everything is grace. Huh? We're powerless over sin. Everything is grace. So if we want, uh, if we want uh, to uh, be holy, what do we do? We, well, we have to ask God for the g- gift to be holy. You know, if we have a problem with chastity, we have to ask God for the grace of chastity. Point is, point is, we're not Pelagian. You know, we don't save ourselves. We don't look to ourselves for salvation. We look to, to God to, to give us the grace to be holy. And that, you know, I didn't have that clear view understanding of that. And then I read one day that, that what's the primary virtue? You know, what did uh, Bernard and, uh, and uh, Claveau and St. Augustine say the primary virtue is? Are you asking me? I am asking you, uh, sure. All right. If I had to guess, I'd probably say humility. Hot dog. You, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. And, and so... Uh, uh, Who's in charge of your life, you or God? God. All right, so you can let go of what? Pride. Control. Oh, also Control. that. <laughs> Why is humility the primary virtue? What's the first capital sin? Pride. Yeah. yeah. A, a devil told Eve, eat this apple, you'll be smart as God is. Knowledge is power. If you're smart as God, you're just like God, huh? Adam bit the apple, Eve bit the apple. And that's, that's the original sin. That's what we inherit, which is a tendency to think that we're, we're called to be self-sufficient, you know. And that's why humility is so important, uh, because it says, you know, I'm not God, I'm not self-sufficient. It frees us up to let go of control in our life. And to do that, we have to have a relationship with Christ. So when he puts thoughts in our head and feelings in our heart, we know where they're coming from. And, and then uh, we try to follow through on them, you know. We try to listen to those feelings and follow do what he tells us to do. Don't do what he tells us not to do. And what God is generally telling us to do is Matthew 25, huh? He's telling us to help people who need our help. Practice the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And, you know, the, the, uh, the clinger on that is uh, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. So when you practice corporal spiritual works of mercy, I, I discovered this in prison ministry. You're helping Jesus, you know. And whenever you do something for Jesus, you, he pays back big dividends, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold, huh? So, and what's, what's God's currency? What, uh, what do you get from God when you serve God? I, I imagine the answer is probably grace. Well, sure. And what is Grace. It's a. It's freely given. It's a gift it's, freely it's, given. It's gift. It's basically love, huh? Uh-huh. God's currency is love, huh? And and so, when we do help somebody out who needs our help, we make, we make sacrifice. We go over and above. Then, you know, we receive grace. You know, which is God's love, and and uh, who and what is the Holy Spirit? Oh wow. The Holy Spirit's a love between the Father and the Son, right? Right. right. And so, you know, what you, what you get when you practice those corporal spiritual works and mercies, you get the Holy Spirit. And when you get the Holy Spirit, you know, then you grow in self-confidence. You, you, you're willing to take more risk, you know, reach out to people. Uh, and you come alive, basically. Uh, and, and, and then you're really living the, the faith, huh? When you're to, to, where you understand this and you're trying to live it, and, and you're, you're finding the Holy Spirit in that, and and you know, I I just started reading a book that Father Matthew got for me. It's on uh, uh, what? Uh, uh, just a second here. I'll grab the title. It's on celibacy, and uh, and. Uh, it shows the relationship between celibacy and, and uh, the priesthood and, and, uh, and fatherhood and how naturally these three all run together. Really? And so like when I take these gals biking, then it helps me to think that, you know, I, I'm exercising my spiritual fatherhood, you know. And, and, uh, You're talking about going biking with college students, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's... The more I understand my faith, the better I can live it. And, uh, 
and and the more with more self assurance, and willing to take more risks and and uh, get into people's faces a little bit, you know. Uh, so anyway, there you are. All right, I have I have a couple questions by way of conclusion. Um, tell me about tell me about one thing that surprised you the most about being a monk. Uh, I was happy to see Haustus. You know, when I was a novitiate cleric, we never had alcohol once, you know. Uh, and so the, the habit of, you know, having alcohol, even though it's just beer and wine a couple of days a week, you know, that was, that was a pleasant surprise, I must admit. Uh, oh, I, I'm always amazed, edified, surprised by Abbot James and how humble he is and how much he simply tries to be a good monk and how effective his example is to us, you know, to imitate that. You know, he doesn't come down with a, you know, with an iron fist, you know, hard and fast. You know, he comes down as a confrere, you know. And uh, so we can we can act as mature men, and, and, and our relationship with him, and uh, live in a monastic life. I told him one time, you know, being an abbot must be like you're dealing with all these monks as fathers, you know, because all of us are affected by our own father and how how uh, how we related to our father and the whole notion of authority, and then he's got in charge of all of us, and we all coming from a different perception you know, of that. So, uh, did I answer your question? You did, you did. Um, so imagine, imagine that this is being listened to by a novice 50 years in the future, however long in the future. What would you say to that novice of St. Benedict's Abbey of the future? Well, uh, be open. You know, be open to life be open to uh, what uh, the world and its good and bad be open to uh, to how the Holy Spirit can work in your life you know to so that, to help you be you know a uh, a faithful monk uh, you know whose priority is God uh, to uh, you know, to be a person of prayer, uh, to uh, look to the old, older people, for example, uh, and to, to to practice your ministry from the get-go. In other words, ora et labora, you know, work and pray. I think that prayer is not just, uh, you know, the divine office. Obviously, it includes personal prayer, but also, it includes like your your works, your spiritual works. Like you, it's easy to see that in a priest out in a parish or a chaplain in a prison ministering to people. Uh, maybe it's teaching at Mar Hill. Maybe it's uh, working with some college students on some kind of a project. Uh, and I was try to 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 see you can be involved in some kind of ministry from the get go. Maybe it's table reading. Maybe it's picking up after breakfast. Uh, but these things are all, you know, in, in a sense, the work of God. Uh, uh, and see how they're a part of, of our uh, holiness of life. And and, uh, and so try to do them all, do them all cheerfully. And always remember that, you know, the more good we do, you know, the more love we of God we are filled with. And, and so the more the Holy Spirit we are filled with, you know. And that calls for a positive attitude, you know. Uh, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And then finally, uh, would you be willing to lead us out with a prayer? Sure, sure. So, Father, we thank you for Father Maximilian, Brother Maximilian, and all of his his technological prowess in setting this this equipment up so we could have this conversation. Uh, thank you, Lord, for his uh, 
non-pressured way of, of uh, asking questions. Uh, and bless him, bless his work, and he's, he's to help him like he did in Focus to Minister, help him to, in his studies and uh, his experience as a, as a monk in a monastery, help him to be a more, more effective servant in your church uh, for the salvation of souls and, and to, to bring people to the fullness of life uh, through the Holy Spirit working in them by the good they do uh, for one another. Uh, this prayer I make through Christ our Lord. Amen. Prophet, de For more from St. Benedict's Abbey in Atchison, Kansas, see our website, kansasmonks.org.